we are needy people. Thank you that you allow us to bring our needs to you. Thank you that you're not a mystic God. Thank you that you're not an uncaring God, callous to our need. For we belong to you. We ask for your help here. And when you give help to us, in answer to our prayers, help us to recognize that help. Help us to give you glory. I pray for all of us, Lord, for the spiritual need of hearing your word this morning. Or give us ears to hear. Speak deeply through your Holy Spirit into our hearts. Change our thoughts, change our hearts about you. Any other attitudes toward others that don't belong? Lord, speak to us and help us to hear. Help me to be faithful this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I'm sure that you've heard of the name Tuskegee Airmen before. They're famous for two different reasons. One, during World War II, they crossed the racial divide. They were the first African-American airmen in the United States Armed Forces. But they are also famous militarily. During World War II, in the European theater of the war, a lot of our bombers were getting shot down. And the reason why they were getting shot down was because when under attack, the, the, the planes that were charged with defending the bombers would go after the enemy aircraft rather than staying with the bomber, which it, it sort of makes sense, but it left the bombers vulnerable, and many of them were getting shot down, and each bomber would carry about a dozen different airmen. So what the Tuskegee Airmen were charged with was to stay with the bombers. No matter what, no matter how challenging things got in the air, no matter how dangerous things got in the air, they were trained to stay with the bomber that they were in charge of guarding. And it worked. From that point forward, only about 25 bombers were lost that the Tuskegee Airmen were charged with because they remained faithful. There's a lot of application. Our relationship with God, we're charged with being faithful. We're charged with being faithful to do whatever God has called us to do. We're charged with obedience. We're also charged with faithfulness in other relationships in our, in our life. Faithfulness vertically, faithfulness horizontally, faithfulness to our church, faithfulness to our friends, uh, faith, faithfulness in, in the workplace. 
We're charged with, with faithfulness. We're charged with faithfulness to our spouse. We're back in the Old Testament book of Malachi this morning. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. We arrived in Malachi when Israel has arrived back home. They had been away in exile for 70 long years. And now they were back home trying to pick up the pieces of their shattered nation. They were back home physically, but in many ways, they were not back home with God spiritually. Because Malachi, the book of Malachi, that is, resembles this argument that Israel is having with God. God is speaking to his people through this prophet Malachi. And they have so many different excuses to offer back to God about why they were being disobedient. And thus they were. And in particular, this argument today, they were giving God all sorts of excuses about why they were being unfaithful. In particular, many of the men were being unfaithful to their marriage covenant. Many of the men in Judah were divorcing their wives and remarrying foreign women. And God was not very happy, to say the least, at this injustice of what they were doing and how they were being unfaithful in that horizontal, the most important of horizontal relationships. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 10, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, and then we're going to read through verse 16. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. Don't all of us have one Father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. This is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, 
you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garments with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. This is God's holy word. Let me share with you the problem that was going on in Judah at this time. What you had was a large percentage of Israelite men who were married to Israelite women, betraying their wives, divorcing their wives, and then remarrying to foreign women. These would have been women from tribes that were neighboring Judah, in particular Jerusalem, at this time. Now why would they have wanted to do that? Sadly, probably because of the money. Keep in mind, Israel had just returned home. They had to rebuild Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem had to be rebuilt. The book of Nehemiah is about that. The temple, other buildings had to be rebuilt. The book of Ezra is about that. Their economy had been demolished. They were impoverished, an impoverished people. But the tribes around Jerusalem were still very prominent, were still very wealthy. So these men thought they could just dump their wives and then go marry into these families. They were going to be much better well off financially. I'm sure I don't have to tell you this, but God was not happy with these men in the injustice that they were doing to their wives in Israel. And then God was prompted to speak through the prophet here, and what we read that these men should be cut off, that their offerings to God, the temple, would not be acceptable to him anymore. That if they wanted to go and marry into other tribes, other tribes that worship pagan gods, instead of him, then they shouldn't be a part of Israel. They were no longer welcome to the temple. They were no longer had access to the God who loved them, the God who provided for them. To God, they were cut off because they were not only abandoning their wives, they were abandoning him. This was a slap in God's face. Remember what the marriage covenant is meant. The marriage covenant is meant to resemble the covenant that God's people has with God. The, the promise that, that God has for his his people. Throughout the Old Testament, God is a husband 
to his people, Israel. And for these men to just so casually betray their wives and leave them behind was an injustice that God hates. And he hates it because this is exactly how God, God's people was treating him at this time. They were leaving him behind. They were not being faithful in the horizontal because long before that, they had stopped being faithful vertically in their relationship with God. So this was treachery towards them, treachery toward the covenant of marriage that he has ordained in creation. Let's read verses 14 and 15 again. And you ask why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness against you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. So God makes man and woman one in marriage. He brings them together in covenant, spiritually, emotionally, physically, brought two into one in marriage. This marriage covenant isn't meant to be broken by us. He also mentions the purpose of a godly marriage. Godly offspring. So that families can be created. So that children can be raised up in the shelter of a healthy marriage union. That's what it's intended to be. But these men were treacherously breaking this marriage covenant. I don't like to use the word so casually. It wasn't working for them. They weren't getting what they selfishly want. So they just cast off their wife. They were trying to go find financial prosperity elsewhere. Because it was about the money. They were breaking their marriage covenant. And the word for that is adultery. Just like what was happening here in ancient Israel, adultery breaks the marriage covenant. This is so serious, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. And when this commandment is broken, it, it leaves a wave of hurt and brokenness almost unlike anything else. There are real victims and there are real costs when a husband commits adultery, a wife commits 
adultery, unfaithfulness. Now, I do want to be sure to mention this, that God does protect the wronged, the victim here, the wronged husband or the wife, whatever may be the case. And he gives them permission to be released when their spouse has committed this violation against them. Jesus put it like this, but I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Jesus himself names this exception. Except in a case of sexual immorality or being betrayed through the act and the violation of adultery. So in other words, we should not, Christians, should not be the type of people who just casually break the marriage covenant. You have this idea today in our society of no-fault divorces. Where we don't feel like it's working for either one of us, and we're just going to get divorced. Jesus, Jesus forbids that. But he says here, in the special exception of sexual immorality, when adultery has been done to you, when you've been betrayed in this specific way, Jesus says that the betrayed party can be released from the spouse who committed adultery against them. They're, they're free to walk away if they so choose. Now, returning to our original idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness first vertically, and then faithfulness horizontally. God is always faithful to us. So that we can be faithful to him and other people. When I think of faithfulness, I think of Jesus. I think of Jesus being tempted and tried. When he was in the desert, the devil was hurling all sorts of temptation at Jesus. He was hungry. He'd been there for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the dad would just look, look, Jesus, look at these stones. You have it in your power to turn these stones into bread. Why don't you? But Jesus said, no. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the devil took him up to a high place, and he said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the riches, all the power. And once again, the devil, we're called to serve and worship the Lord alone. And then last, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, throw yourselves down, Jesus. In the Psalms, it's promised that the Messiah would be rescued by angels. And once again, no devil, you don't 
helps the Lord. I'm not going to do that. I don't need man's selfish praise. Those who see me getting rescued. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to remain faithful. All over Jesus' life, we see his faithfulness. His love for God. That vertical dependence on God in everything. And we see his horizontal faithfulness. His love for other people. In the big things, in the small things, Jesus is faithful. And he remained faithful even to the very end. When he was hanging on the cross, people were jeering at him, they were mocking him, saying, if you're truly king, if you're truly God's son, then come down off that cross. And you know what Jesus could have? He said to his disciples, and they were coming to arrest him, don't you know I can, I can command a legion of angels to come and save me. But Jesus remained faithful. And I'm glad that he did. Because if he didn't remain faithful, if he didn't stay up on the cross, if he didn't keep all of God's requirements and commandments, we couldn't be saved. And we would have no conversation about us being faithful to God. Because our faithfulness has to be built on Christ's faithfulness, on His righteousness. And you received the gift of His righteousness. And you trusted in Christ and what He did for you in your place. And you said to God, Father, I am very unrighteous, and I can't save myself. There's nothing that I can do to atone for my sin. There's nothing that I deserve except for your wrath. Nothing I deserve except for hell. And you trusted in Christ and what he did for you and being faithful to God and dying for you. And then rising again he proved himself thankful, and he did it for you, so that you can be brought back to God. And now, we can be faithful, because he was thankful. We can now become faithful in our lives, seeking to serve God, seeking to love other people. In all of our relationships, especially our relationship with our spouse, what God values and loves the most is faithfulness. Is faithfulness. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter hints at the 
way that we treat our spouse both is a reflection and it also impacts our relationship with God. Let me just read you that verse here. He speaks first to husbands, but specifically to husbands as the head, as the leader. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Did you catch that at the end? So if you're not being understanding, if you're not loving, if you're not being compassionate toward your wife or toward your husband, if you're not being faithful to what God wants you to do, then your prayers are being hindered. That God has closed up his ears to your prayers until you get this right. Because your vertical relationship with God is lived out in the, in the horizontal relationships of everyday life. It's reflected. So if you aren't right here, you're hardly ever going to be right here. So first what you need to do is get on your knees and get right here. Then you're going to see love start to happen here. And then God's glad to answer your prayers for all the help that you need, for all sorts of ways that you need His help and presence in your life. But you're not going to get that help here until you get right here. So it's very important. Our relationship with our spouse both is a reflection of our love toward God and then also impacts our relationship with God. But beyond marriage, for everybody, we are charged with being faithful. Faithful in the small Faithful in the big. When we are being faithful, we're being like Christ. It may not seem like a big deal to us in the moment, especially in the small moments of life, when nobody else is being is watching us. But God sees. And it's very important to know. It's massively important to know. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we're to be successful. Like God will judge us if we're great successes at life. But it does say that we're to prove ourselves faithful. And God will judge us based on our faithfulness or not. <clears throat> Keeping your word. Being the type of person who keeps their word. Who does what you say. 
doesn't waver. Being faithful, being an honest and hard worker. <coughs> being faithful to, to give generously to help others. To be faithful in church attendance as a, as a church member. To serve. To be faithful to support your friends. To be faithful to be quick to listen to others and slow to speak. To be faithful to be present with your wife and kids. <coughs> to be a faithful tiger. To be faithful to read your Bible daily and to set aside time for prayer. To be faithful to keep a secret and refrain from gossip. To be faithful to guard your heart. To be careful what you watch. To be careful what you look at on the internet. To be faithful when people are watching or you're all alone. All of those things may be small potatoes to us. But big things play out in the eyes of God on stages small, just like that. He calls us to be faithful. Now we're there to say who we will alone. It's who we are, whether we're faithful or not, when nobody else is looking. Now we're there to say, unless we have that right with God, probably if that's wrong, if we're doing the wrong things positively, the public part of us is just a charade. It's just a fake anyways. We're called to be faithful. Are you being faithful in your life? If you are, be encouraged this morning. Because God sees you. We may not have immediate reward or immediate validation now, but he promises great reward to heaven. God's going to reward you. Be faithful. Keep being faithful. Are you being faithful? Maybe as I've been speaking about faithfulness, God is zeroing in on something in your life. He's targeting something. It's on your conscience. You try to suppress it. You try to get away from it. But now God is zeroing in. You know it's time to do business between you and the Lord. He's not going to let you get away until you get this right. Remember, this won't be right until this is right. Are you?
you being faithful. Let's go to Christ in prayer. Lord, we praise you because of your faithfulness. We praise you because you stood strong in the face of temptation where it would have been so easy for you to compromise. But you stayed faithful even to the point of death on a cross for us. So thank you. For through the message of your faithfulness, the great love that you have for us, empower us in faithfulness. Help us to know that, that you won't turn us away if we come to you for help. If we admit that we're not being faithful, but we need your forgiveness, you will grant that forgiveness. Lord, help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Will you stand with us? Maybe today you need to come and say, Jesus, I need more faithfulness. I need a relationship with you. I trust in you now. Maybe you need to come and say, Father, I'm not being faithful, but I want to be. Will you help me? Maybe you just need to stand Praise God and say, I glorify you because you are a faithful God. You are the faithful God.